The scripture reading today is 1 Corinthians 1, 10 through 17. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, someone from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this, one of you says, I follow Paul, another, I follow Apollos, another, I follow Cephas, still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray again. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that as we look at it and as I speak from it right now, that your Holy Spirit would be the one who would talk to us, point us to Christ and to your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. So it's no secret that we live right now in a divided culture. Um, In our government, there's intense animosity between the major political parties. Um, There are people all across the nation, people from the same family, they're friends, they go to the same school, they work in the same workplace, and they're just divided over any issue you can name, right? Race, gender, sexuality, guns, climate. We just, we fight over everything. So, so, some would say that um, there's a growing divide between the generations, that the way you see the world is shaped by when you just happen to be born. So we, we live in an age of great division. And I don't know about you, but I'm tired of this. Anyone here, you're just weary all the fighting for everything. Well, listen, if division within a culture can be a source of grief, guys, division within a church is even worse. The Bible says that the church is the body of Jesus Christ. It is, 1 Timothy 3 says, it is the household of God, the, the pillar and foundation of the truth. That the, church, the church is intended by God to be the one society on the earth where God's love and God's truth unite people from different backgrounds with, in, in genuine bonds of peace. So when a church is divided, something very serious has gone wrong. And that's what's being addressed in the passage we're looking at today. Last week, we began a study. We'll be working through the book of 1 Corinthians, which is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a, a first-century congregation in, in the town of Corinth, a church that he and his, and his friends themselves had started. And um, in today, the passage, you see the Apostle um, expressing his deep, deep grief over a report that he has heard that this church he started, this church he loves, has splintered into competing factions. Here's what he says in verse 12. He says, one one of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Apollos was a famous preacher in in the early church. 
Another says, I follow Cephas. That's another name for Peter. Still another says, I follow Christ. And that sounds spiritual, right? I follow Christ. But by implication, you're saying, I follow Christ, and you don't, right? So it's, it, it's no better. So the church is just fractured. It's, it's splintered into all these little cliques and factions that are competing with each other. And the apostle says to them in verse 10, I appeal to you. You, you, you could translate that, I beseech you, or I urge you, or you could translate it, I'm begging you. I'm begging you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. Now, it's clear that the apostle is in grief over the division. The question I want to ask today is why? why? Why was he so concerned about the fact that this church was not united? Yeah, I want you to notice that the apostle does not say, I want you all to be united because this will enhance your emotional well-being. You'll be much happier if there's no fighting in your church. He doesn't say that. And, and, and nor does he say, I, I want you all to be united because this will, in, this will promote your institutional health. Your church will grow much more quickly if you're all pulling in the same direction. He doesn't say that. And he doesn't say, I, I want you all to unite together because uh, this will increase your impact on society. You, you, you will have greater influence in your culture if you just speak with one voice. He doesn't say that. No, the, the, the reasons the apostle is begging them to unite. The reasons are much deeper than any of those things. He tells us here that the disunity that was taking place among them was a symptom of a much deeper sickness, was an indication that as a church they were beginning to forget, to forget some deeply important biblical truths. What were they forgetting? Well, I would suggest they were, they were forgetting three things. The first, first is they were, they were beginning to forget the lordship of Jesus Christ. Do, do you know that the church belongs to Jesus? Do you know that Jesus, the Bible says Jesus is the head of the church. He is our master. He, he is our savior. He is our Lord. So in this ancient church, by finding their identity in their group affiliation, rather than, listen, rather than finding their identity in Christ, I think you could say there's a sense in which those ancient Christians, they were, they were beginning to forget their Lord, turn their back on their Lord. Verse 13, Paul says, is Christ divided? Was was, was was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? And, you know, the obvious answer to all those questions is no. Christ is not divided. Paul, you were not, Paul was not crucified for you. You were not baptized into the name of Paul. See, they, listen, they belonged to Jesus, right? Every one of them. He, Jesus is the one who had saved them. And would you agree with me? That's the one thing that unites all Christians. Everywhere, at all times, regardless of what they look or how they sing or how they vote or regardless of any of that. Listen, we all belong to, we all serve, we all trust the same Lord. I wonder if you've ever read that 
little place in, in Luke chapter 9. The disciples are traveling with Jesus as they're doing ministry together. And, and one of the disciples, John, John comes up to Jesus and he says this. He says, Master, Master, we saw someone driving out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he's not one of us. Have <laughs> you remember that? And you know how Jesus responded? He said, don't stop him for whoever is not against you is for you. I, I, think, I think one of the things Jesus meant by that is this. Listen, if anyone, anyone believes the gospel as it's revealed in the Bible and they are trusting Jesus as their Savior, you know what, guys? They're on our team, right? They're on our team. That, that truth was driven home for me, but in, in the mid-90s, in the mid-90s, 1996, I had the opportunity to attend a pastor's conference in Atlanta, Georgia. It was a big conference. There were four, can you imagine 40,000 pastors in one place? Like, you know, run. It's going to be crazy with all these pastors together. But there were 40,000 pastors from all across the country gathered in the stadium where the Atlantic, Atlanta Falcons play, in the football stadium. And... Um, you know, the pastors, there were people from every kind of denominational stripe you can imagine, every different tradition and background. And one thing about pastors is, you know, pastors love to argue over theology. I mean, you get, listen, if you, if you get three pastors in a room and you, and you ask a theological question, you will have five different points of view on it. I mean, they're just, that's the way pastors are wired. And this one poor guy, his assignment was to preach to this diverse group on the subject of Christian unity. And I'll never forget the way this man started his talk. It was so powerful. He, he, he stood before us and he said, I know that we have people from all different church traditions here today. We have, we have Pentecostals and we have Presbyterians and, and we have Methodists and we have Baptists and we have Anglicans and we have non-denominationals. And, and, he, and he said, here's what I want you to do just so that we know that you're present. He said, when I count to three, I want everyone here to yell as loudly as you can, whatever word would define your denomination. Or your, if you're Presbyterian, say Presbyterian. If you're Pentecostal, yell Pentecostal. I want you to yell your tradition. Ready? One, two, three. Wow. There was this. It was the most discordant, ugly noise you've ever heard. Just this loud, raw, meaningless noise. And then he said, now... I'm going to count to three. On the count of three, I want everyone here to yell the name of the person who died to save you from your sins. Ready? One, two, three. Jesus! It was, so, it was just moving, viscerally moving. It was, it was such a beautiful sound. And it, was, it sounded like it was one voice shouting one name, one Lord, Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I think there is a place within, within the movement of, of God in the world for there is a place for different denominations and different um, organizational structures. And, and thank God for all the various traditions we have within Christianity. But listen, if, if, uh, listen uh, if, if we ever begin to kind of thumb our noses at Christians from other traditions because they're not part of our group, you know, I would think we're forgetting who our Lord is. Right? Because our Lord is their Lord. It would be like the people in, in, in Corinth, forgetting the Lordship of Jesus Christ. 
Ephesians chapter 4 says this. It says, there, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And I, I think we could add to that. There is one person to whom the church worldwide belongs, and that person is our Lord. Amen. Jesus our Lord Jesus Christ. So why is Paul so concerned about their disunity? It's, 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 it's very deep because on some level they're beginning to forget the lordship of Christ. And secondly, I think it's because they're beginning to forget the mission of the church. Look at verse 14. Let me read. It says, I thank God, Paul says, that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one can say they were baptized in my name. Verse 16, isn't this funny? He forgot. He said, yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. He doesn't, can't even think about that. And then look at verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Now, we don't want to be confused by what he's saying here. I do not think the apostle was downplaying the importance of baptism, all right? If you're afraid maybe the apostle Paul had a low view of baptism, go home and read Romans chapter 6, all right? Just read that chapter. You will see this high, lofty, exalted understanding of the theological significance of baptism. That's not his problem. But I think what he was saying is he's saying, listen, guys, when I think back to my time with you in Corinth and my ministry there, I want to tell you that something that's far more important to me than the number of Christians that we discipled and prepared for the water of baptism, the number of people we had in the church, he's saying far more important to me than that is the number of non-Christians, unbelievers, who were reached by the life-changing message of the gospel of Christ. Now he's not, do you understand, he's not saying baptism is unimportant and he's not saying that the only job of the church is evangelism, but he's saying that when Christians get so caught up in those things that divide them, I don't like the way you voted, I don't like the music you sing, I, I, I don't like the Bible version you're using, when they get so caught up in these things, I think he's saying that in some sense they're, they're beginning to forget this crucial part of their mission which is to share the message of Christ with the world. You know, I, I don't know how you feel about this, but the Bible's clear. The Bible, the Bible says that there is one and only one way for people to be rescued from the coming wrath of God over human sin. Only one way, and that one way is faith in Jesus Christ. And the Bible also says, there is one and only one institution in this world specifically commissioned by the Lord to take that essential message to the world. And that institution is the church. When the church forgets about that and instead focuses inward and starts fighting with each other, oh my goodness, something, something's gone wrong. There's something about being on mission that just helps you remember that. Um, Sebastian Younger is an author I really like. He, he spent a lot, many years as a war correspondent embedded with, um, with uh, troops on the front, front lines in, in combat zones. And he's also spent a lot of time interviewing and talking with veterans who are returning from their deployment to the United States. And in one of his books, he talks about how deeply disheartened many U.S. veterans are when they come back from deployment 
to our country and they realize how politically divided we are here. It just, it just makes no sense to them. They're like, here, here we've been risking our life to defend our country and, and you people at home are ripping it apart. Arguing about who, you know, who's a Republican, who's a Democrat, who's a liberal, who's a conservative. They're like, listen, on the front lines, we don't have those words. On the front lines, we're just Americans. Right? They see, there's something about being on mission, being, being uh, on the front lines. It just clarifies what it is that unites us. And uh, just makes these petty differences sort of disappear. And I think that when you find a congregation that's all wrapped up in little controversies about way we should do this or what we should say about that, and just, just kind of, I think it might, the reason for that might be that they're, they're not on the front lines anymore. They've, they've, they've stepped back. You see what I mean from this important aspect of our mission, of taking the gospel to the world. You might ask, well, how important is that mission? You know, Jesus, do you ever hear this parable of Christ? In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus said, this is amazing. He said that God is so passionately concerned for people who are far away from him. He said that God is like a shepherd who's got a hundred sheep. And if just one of those sheep wanders away... I mean, no, listen, no shepherd would ever do this. It's just ridiculous. But he says, this is the way God is. He's like, he, he's like a shepherd that he, if he's got 90, 100 sheep and just one wanders away, he'll leave the 99 all by themselves in the hills. Who cares about them? And his only focus will be seeking and finding and searching and tracing until he gets that one that's wandered away. And he says when he brings it back, he's more happy about the one that's strayed, coming home, than about the 99 that never wandered at all. He says, that's how God is. He's that lovingly, compassionately concerned for people who are far from him. Let me ask you, believer, doesn't it make you happy? Does it make you happy to know that we have that kind of God? You, you know, I, I would say this. It might be that you're here today and you're, you might are be feeling very, very far from God. Just like so distant from him. You, you know, if what Jesus said about God in that parable, if it's true... Do you realize that of all the people here this morning, the person he is, God is most focused on, most thinking about, most concerned with, is you. He really loves you. That's, that's how important this mission is of, of, of sharing this news of God's mercy with the world. So the apostles, concerned by their disunity, it, it, it seems to indicate that they've forgotten the lordship of Christ, seems to indicate that they've, they've forgotten the mission of the church. And then one final thing, it seems their division seems to indicate that they're, they have forgotten the mercy of God. Um, let, let me point out verse 17. I'll read it again. I, th I think the wording of verse 17 is very interesting. Here's what it says. It says, for Christ, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Now, notice, he doesn't say, God didn't send me uh, to preach the gospel with wisdom and eloquence. He, wait, he says this, I, I don't want to preach the gospel with wisdom and eloquence because I don't want the gospel to lose its power. He doesn't say that. He says, I don't want to preach the gospel with wisdom and eloquence because I don't want 
the cross to lose its power. That makes sense. In other words, he's using he's using the word gospel and the word cross as synonyms. Does it, that make sense? He's he's basically saying when you say gospel, what are you talking about? You're talking about the cross. See that. I hope you understand this. The, the message of the gospel, the gospel is not a message of, um, it's, it's not a message of self-help, right? Or moral improvement, no. Listen, guys, the gospel, the good news is the message of the cross. It's the story of a righteous savior who, who rescued unrighteous sinners by taking their place on the cross. You know what that means? That means the gospel, guys, it's all about mercy. Amen? It's all about mercy. And, and when Christians divide into little groups and they start to look down on each other and argue about which one of them is the most spiritual, you know what they're forgetting? They're all forgetting that the only reason they're in the church at all is mercy. It's the cross of Christ. And it's just so bizarre that we would ever forget that. Can you imagine? So imagine me and a bunch of friends, all right, we all decide to go rob a bank together. That's not hard for you to imagine, right? But just imagine that I'm with some friends, probably the elders of our church. We all decide to go rob a bank together. And on our way to the bank, imagine that I trip and fall and break my leg. And they have to leave me at the ER. I, I completely miss out on the heist. They go on and rob the bank without me. And while they're robbing the bank, everything goes wrong. I mean, a, a security guard is killed. They all get arrested. They are all sentenced to life in prison. And can you imagine if I show up at the sentencing and I start to berate them? Oh, you people are despicable. You bank robbers. You murderers. I'm so glad I'm not like you. Wouldn't that be ridiculous? Because the only reason I'm not being condemned with them is because God in his mercy let me fall and break my leg. The only, listen, the only reason I'm not condemned is mercy. That's true for all Christians everywhere. The only reason we're in the family, we don't deserve to be here, is the cross of Jesus Christ. And it seems that those people in ancient Corinth were starting to forget that. Later, we'll get there in a few weeks. Chapter 4, chapter four, verse 7, Paul says this to them. He says, who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you didn't receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you did not? Like to, to, to look down on other believers because you don't like the, the way they voted or you don't like the songs they sing or you don't like the, the denomination they come from. You know, it's kind of, if, if you acted like you're a better Christian than they are, it's just like you're forgetting. You don't, listen, does this hurt your feelings? You don't deserve to be a Christian at all. And neither do I. But we are, amen, by the mercy of God through Christ. So why is the apostle so grieved that they're dividing? You might say, well, hey, let's just use this strategically, Paul. We've got four different groups. We can plant four new churches in Corinth. No, 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 no. He's grieved over the division because of what it reveals. It, it just shows that they're forgetting who their Lord is. They belong to Jesus. And they're forgetting what their mission is. It's not to fight with each other. It's to reach the world. And... They were forgetting how much God loves them. They were in the church because of his mercy. 
They were in the church because of the cross. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that the message of your love through the cross would heal divisions in our country and prevent divisions in our church or in our families. That foremost in our minds would be the the lordship of Jesus and his love for the world and his amazing love for us and that this, this truth would allow us to embrace brothers and sisters in the Lord and to rejoice that we all follow him together. And as we come to one table together today, we pray that you would drive home these truths in a deeply personal way. In Christ's name, amen.